the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program was pre-recorded, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. We don't need no education. We don't need no thoughts control. Welcome to Education Nation, where we tackle the biggest issues in American education. School is now in session. Here are your hosts, Headmaster Rebecca Hagstrom and co-host Mark Durkin. Well, good evening and thank you for joining us here in Education Nation. I am your Headmaster and host, Rebecca Hagstrom, and it's a privilege to join you every Saturday evening here on AM 1280 The Patriot. And of course, I am joined in studio once again by our wonderful producer of Education Nation and my co-host, Mark Durkin. And a wonderful good evening to you, Rebecca. How yes. have you been? Well, I have been good other than this cold. I'm sure people can probably hear Like this everybody has one, though. I know. It hit right out of the gate. At, we started school the weekend or the week before Labor Day. And yes. we have had sickness at the school from the very beginning. It's a ping pong match. Yeah. Yeah. It's just been yeah. amazing. So I'm hoping my voice holds up here. Yes. <laughs> Lots of water. <laughs> yes, we have a very exciting show today, though, and next week as well. Um, <clears throat> in June of 2018, the landmark Supreme Court case, Janus versus AFSCME, which stands for the American Federation of State, County, Municipal Employees, which is really our public sector unions across America, overturned 40 years of precedent, having ruled that unions can no longer charge non-union employees fair share because they violate First Amendment rights of public employees. That's right, Rebecca. Prior to the ruling, uh, most government employees, including teachers, they paid between $500 to $1,000 in fair share fees to a government union in order to keep their jobs, and sometimes even more. And in the Janus case, the Supreme Court majority stated that the right to speak, the right to associate or not to associate, which protects citizens against being forced to fund someone else's political speech, are the bedrock of our freedom and constitutional republic. That's right. And the lead plaintiff in the case, Mark Janus, has since joined the Liberty Justice Center and travels around the country to raise awareness of government workers' rights and the special union and political interests that threaten to deny them. He joins us by telephone tonight from Illinois to, to discuss sorry, his lifelong journey as a public servant and the specifics surrounding his landmark Supreme Court case. Mark, thank you so much for joining us tonight on Education Nation. Oh, well, thank you. It's my pleasure. Well, wonderful. And I had the privilege of being able to meet you, I think, a year or two ago, at, right after the case had been won, and you visited the the state with Rebecca Friedrich, who also brought the same case, but it ended up in a hung jury through the Supreme Court. So we were glad that you were able to uh, come and share more about this whole case. So we're excited to have you on the show tonight. 
Yeah, it sounds like um, you know we're we're going to have a very interesting discussion this evening. Absolutely, yes. absolutely. Well, before we discuss the specifics concerning your Supreme Court case and sub- and your subsequent victory, can we discuss your journey that led you into a lifetime of public service? In your life, when did you learn about public service, and how exactly did your life experiences shape your view that of what effective public service should look like? Well, I would have to say I, I began, uh, obviously, through uh, attending church. Of course, my parents, uh, my dad especially, uh, he served in the military uh, as a young man. And then I got involved in the Boy Scouts um, and started off as a Cub Scout and went all the way up to Eagle Scout um, and obtained that rank. Um, and then also my church um, mm-hmm. instilling in me that you know that you have to have faith, um, you have to uh, be with your fellow man and, and improve conditions all across your community. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and it's with you know between those three uh, you know uh, legs of the stool, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, that that's where I got my public service uh, bug, if you will. Right. And you know the wonderful thing about that, Mark, is that <clears throat> that is kind of the American way of of the past, right? You're I would say probably upwards of 50 years old, as am I. And um, that was the norm back in the day that we were raised, is that most everyone attended church. Um, Most of the boys were involved in Boy Scouts, and I know my brother went all the way through Eagle Scouts as well. And that public, yeah, and that public, my dad was one of the leaders, and it was just, it was a common way to teach service and a love of country and a love of fellow man. God, family, and country. God, I mean, family, the, country. The, the, there you go. The three-legged story. Yes, yep. yes, yes. Well, and, that's and, and then also, you know, you, you really develop some very strong bonds and friendships, too. Yes. Um, and, and which also then kind of helped enhance the community mm-hmm. um, where you work together and you knew people. And, and if someone, you know, got into trouble in, in some manner, you know, personally or, or financially, um, you know, there were people there to help out. Yes, uh, yes. That's whatever exactly. way they could. Yep, that's mm-hmm. exactly right. <clears throat> well, in the 1980s, you worked a government job, and you weren't required to pay money to a union. Can you share with our listeners what that work experience was like? Well, quite frankly, it was it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was it was interesting, um, and um, number one, I. I took home more money. <laughs> right, so you weren't paying I, the union because fees. I didn't have to pay, <laughs> um, and the like. And uh, there, there were, didn't seem to be all these work rules and 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 all this other um, you know conditions of employment. Um, so it just seemed to be a lot easier and and uh, the ability to to do your job and and do it well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and the thing too, Mark, is your work career uh, has led you to work for a private company as well, too. And you later returned to the public sector in 2007. You know, at that time, what type of work were you doing for the state government in Illinois? Well, when I when I joined the the state in 2007, I I became what's known as a child support specialist, hmm. um, which be, was a a position that helped uh, parties that had child support cases or court orders. I mean, you have two parties that, uh, for whatever reason, don't agree. Uh, Children were involved, and therefore, you know, one party had to pay the other support. and, And so my job was simply to make sure that the parties 
got what they deserved within the realm of the court order. Um, and some people might call it a kind of an accounting type function, but the idea was to keep it fair to both. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, in working as a child support specialist, you did soon discover that the state government granted a politically powerful union the authority to deduct money from your paycheck. You know, tell us what the state government in Illinois was doing at that time, and what type of political power did this government union hold over individual workers? Well, the the main power that they held is that if you wanted to work for state government, uh, like in my case, Illinois, you had to pay the union, whether yes. you wanted to or not. It, in Illinois, it was a state law, and I'm sure in other states it's the same way. Um, and, and that's what I got frustrated with, because just in order to work in public service and, and do my job, I had to pay a fee uh, to this union uh, twice a month um, for you know, in perpetuity, mm-hmm. uh, if you will, if I wanted to keep my job. And if I didn't pay, you know, I couldn't hold that job. And I just felt that was totally wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I'm kind of curious. You mentioned that back in the 80s you worked for a government job that where you didn't have to pay money into a union. Are public sector unions, were they a newer phenomenon then since the 1980s, or have they always been around? Well, they they have been around for, you know, numerous years, mm-hmm. uh, but they have expanded their scope. They've expanded the number of positions of which they uh, collectively bargain for, and okay. they've just continually grown and grown and grown. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, uh, when I first started, my direct supervisor um, was not part of the union. Mm. Uh, she was considered middle management. Okay. But at the end of my tenure, um, she was a union member because the union had been able to uh, submit and get approved her position as a manager to be a part of the union and covered under the union contract. Wow. Mm. Okay. So that it just keeps growing and expanding then over the course of time. And I think, too, mm-hmm. if I read correctly, I believe that uh, at this time that you uh, were serving as the child support specialist in 2007, I mean, didn't 90 percent of government workers in Illinois, weren't they essentially uh, under the obligation of having to pay these union dues? Oh, absolutely. Yep. Wow. 90 right. percent. I mean, even, even if, you were, if you were a union member, um, you know, obviously you you, you paid your dues, right. but if you were, like myself, a non-union member, yes. uh, mm-hmm. you still had to pay this fee, which was approximately 80% of the full union due structure. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the argument was, well, you're, you're getting the benefits of our contract negotiations, right. our exclusive representation, mm-hmm. uh, and the like, even though, number one, I never voted for that exclusive representation. <laughs> right. I never asked for that exclusive representation, right. and I didn't always agree with what they were bargaining for and the policies and the politics that, that they put mm-hmm. forth. It's like it's kind of like the Big Brother. You know, we do know what's best for you. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. And, and yet, you know, they know what's best for me, even though they never came and talked. To right. Me. Right. What what they thought would be in my best interest. Right. Or, right sought my opinion whatsoever. Yeah. And, and many others, you know, that I worked with, co-workers, the same mm-hmm. way. Yeah, let, let me, yeah. yeah and that, in fact, let's, let's go down that path a little bit. Um, yeah. You were talking about the fact that these deductions were a blatant violation of your First Amendment rights, and you did eventually ask the U.S. Supreme Court to end this practice. 
And with AFSCME, the public sector unions representing so many state government workers, did you see a growing frustration among your fellow state employees as they began to recognize this and what was taking place? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, there were people that that would grumble and, and, you know, under their breath, so to speak. Um, But when you have such a large uh, political-based entity, which public sector unions are, what are you going to do? They have the power. They have the the amount of money to put into politicians' pockets for election and so on. Um, And the thing that you also have to look at is many of these people just had no idea who to turn to. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you're overwhelmingly confronted with AFSCME, and ARPME in my particular case, on a daily basis with bulletin boards, with notices, uh, people wearing uh, T-shirts, and shirts that they would give out to hold your... (laughs) your credentials that you had to wear daily uh, for security purposes, flyers that were left on your desk. Um, I mean, it was basically 24-7. Yeah. And and, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. Well, I was just going to say, imagine if that was in the reverse, <laughs> the outcry that would happen from the unions if, if somebody decided to come along and put flyers on the desks that were anti-union or uh, pro, because most of the unions we know um, factually support Democratic candidates. If you had put flyers out on people's desks to vote Republican at some point, an anti-union, um, what an outcry that would be. Well, I mean, number one, you cannot, in the state of Illinois, you cannot politic, you know, within within a government building and the like, <laughs> and yet, which is good. Yet it um, is good, except yet they're politicking by simply by virtue of being pro-union, really. Well, and and there were meetings that they would hold during lunch lunch periods um, under the guise of you know letting us know uh, you know what was going on like with contract negotiations. Mm-hmm. And although I would would not directly sit in on those meetings, uh, you know I would overhear what was being said. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, a majority of that was not talking about the contract negotiation. It was talking about you know the upcoming election and who <laughs> they should vote for and how. You know, this politician is evil and this other oh. guy is oh good my gosh. and the like. And so I'm thinking, okay, under the equal, um, you know, provisions mm-hmm. that, that, you know, many radio stations and other TV stations have to give equal time, why are we not getting the equal time for the other points of view that the union was espousing? Mm-hmm. Uh, in other words, in, I was always taught in college and high school and, and the like that, you know, there's always two sides to a story. Right. But if you only hear the one side, how are you going to make an informed, educated decision? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Absolutely. You know, let me ask you this, Mark, too, on that. You know, we talk about all of the bargaining practices that were going on. And then, you know, you just have the occasional comments during an election season about which, you know, politician was good. I mean, was there a process that you went through in terms of really maybe doing some research to say, okay, where exactly are my funds going? What other organizations are being supported by uh, these union dues? I mean, how long of a process was that for you that really kind of helped bring you to the place of maybe going to the Supreme Court? Well, it took all of about 10 minutes <laughs> from the from the standpoint. And I mean, that's a great question, because the, you know, trying to find out where my money went um, it was almost impossible. Yes. Uh, and and there's very, very little transparency. Yeah. Um, that's it. And yeah. when you do try to find that information out, um, it's so nebulous. For example, let me let me 
point out, you have a line item called advertising mm-hmm. and, a, and a dollar amount. And that was in the millions. Um, oh. The one thing that I determined was, well, what is advertising? Mm-hmm. Is that the T-shirts that they give out to everybody to let everybody know that you're in favor of the union? Um, is that the posters and signs they put up in you know the bulletin boards and all around the state buildings? Or is it the advertising for a candidate that they support, such as yard sign, mm-hmm. they go put out and put in somebody's yard, or a flyer that they have printed up and they have their union members going door to door supporting a, a particular candidate? Um, that wow. could all be considered advertising. Yeah. However, they told me that oh well, don't worry, your your money is not going for political purposes. Mm-hmm. Oh. But there was no way to find out if it was or wasn't. <laughs> just I mean, take our word no for it. <laughs> yeah, just trust us. Yeah. Right, because <laughs> they're so they've proven to be so trustworthy. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Oh. What led you to the place where you decided to go ahead and go forward with this case? I think it was the fact that, um, as a lot of people may or may not know, Illinois, um, its political and its budget situation is verging on bankruptcy. Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bonds in the state are just slightly above junk status. Mm. Um, We have over very close to, depending on who you you talk to, $200 billion with a B in pension debt. Wow. Wow. we have on an annual basis, and again, it varies uh, anywhere from five to seven billion dollars a year in unpaid bills to these mm. um, all across the state, whether that businesses that provide goods and services, uh, social services, whatever, um, and so on and so forth. And yet, the union was in contract negotiations with the state, um, and the union was asking for three billion with a B hmm. increased wages and benefits. Wow. Unbelievable. So asking for they even, can't make daily, yeah. you know, obligations and here was the union asking for more money to that effect. Now what's even more egregious in my opinion was even as a non member, they wanted me to go out and if they went on strike, because they they were talking about it, they wanted me to go out on strike with them and not cross the picket line and, and not come to work. Hmm. So even as a non-member, they expected me to do that. And I thought, enough is enough. Right, right. You know, the thing we have to remember is that union members are also taxpayers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people forget that your union people and your state workers do pay taxes. Mm-hmm. So if you're increasing the tax burden, you know, by asking for all these extras, mm-hmm. if you will, um, how is that going to affect the, the individual worker in having to pay more taxes? And are they really coming out ahead? Right, right, right. right. It's kind of going right. in one pocket and out the other. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, we're talking with Mark Janice today on our Education Nation here, AM 1280 The Patriot. And we are very excited to be speaking with him. Mark Janice is the one who won the Supreme Court case. Um, that allowed public sector unions uh, or people to release themselves from the public sector unions and from their fair share tax. So can you tell us a little bit more now about your case specifically, Mark, as we kind of turn our attention to the case itself? Well, the case itself freed 
over 5 million public sector workers from having to pay these agency fees. Mm-hmm. And in other words, they gave the individual worker the right to choose and to make their own decision. Mm-hmm. Um, and from that standpoint, it's now putting the decision power back into the hands of the individual worker and not the union. And that's the primary case. Now, a lot of people have said, you know, that this is an anti-union decision, and I read about that literally daily. Mm-hmm. There is absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing in the decision that is anti-union. Mm-hmm. All it says is give the worker the right to make their own decision. That's mm-hmm. all it says. Mm-hmm. And that's very oversimplified. Um, and it provides for the worker to affirmatively consent as to whether they want to join or not join. Mm-hmm. And and it is up to the individual. If the union feels or the the worker feels that the union is doing a good job and is representing their interests and stands for what they believe in, uh, then God bless them. Mm-hmm. You know, pay the dues and, and support that entity. Mm-hmm. However, if you disagree and you don't feel that the union is in your best interest, then why do you have to be forced to pay something? And this decision, you know, said, look, you don't have to pay now to work in a government mm-hmm. job. That's all it did. Say so one of the questions that I is going through my mind right now, Mark, is I know with the teachers, their health care was always threatened. If you don't join the union, you're not going to have your health care coverage. Um, how has that been managed in other sectors of government workers? Well, number one, it's, it's a bogus argument um, because, let's face it, the entity that you work for, let's say the Board of Education, mm-hmm. they contract and they provide the health insurance contract you know, with mm-hmm. whatever entity, Blue Cross or whoever is in your local area. Um, and so, therefore... Whether or not you're a member of the union or not, the union doesn't have any say. Mm-hmm. In, in I think most people don't know that. Exactly, and that's one of the big problems, and that's one of the, the false um, arguments that the union makes that says, oh, if you don't join the union, you're going to lose your pension. Mm-hmm. Well, why are you going to lose your pension when you know it's the Board of Education that provides that pension in conjunction with the state or whatever entity it might be? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Health insurance. Again, it's the Board of Education that provides, you know, that benefit. Uh, yes, it may be negotiated as part of the contract, but that's handled by, you know, that particular Board of Education. Mm-hmm. And I could go on and on, but the, the, the idea of the fact that, you know, you, you're not going to have the liability coverage, for example, that teachers, uh, that the union always touts. Mm-hmm. Well, here's a very interesting fact. Most boards of education carry a liability insurance for their employees. Mm. And if you get into trouble as a teacher, you then have that insurance to back you up. It's Mm. provided by the board of education. Mm. Now, the union insurance actually does not kick in at all until after the board of education insurance coverage is exhausted. Wow. And in many cases... Sometimes people have filed claims, you know, for that union insurance, and they've been denied <laughs> because the coverage is is so, um, you know, narrow, narrow and specific. Mm-hmm. And specific. Plus
Plus, if you want that extra coverage, it's kind of like an umbrella policy that many people have, you know, that go above and beyond your, your home fire, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, what a lot of people don't realize, there are other entities out there that provide twice the coverage that the unit provides at half the cost. Oh, my goodness. Mm. And all you have to do is go out and do a little bit of investigation, such as teacher insurance on the Internet uh, or whatever, and there are a number of different entities that, that do that. Uh, huh. And you find that coverage is better and less cost. Wow. Yep. Unbelievable. Yeah. So this is another area where the unions are trying to coerce uh, and, and some people may find that to be a very strong word, but that's exactly what it is, mm-hmm. to keep the money flowing because most unions treat their their members or the people that they cover as an ATM machine. That's mm-hmm. all they're in. Yeah. They want to keep the money flowing, keep their monopoly, and... Um, you know, continue on their merry way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Let me ask you this, Mark. You know, another big complaint I think that's come from the unions uh, for those that are non-members is, well, they're still going to then be on the receiving end in terms of benefit of whatever comes out of the collective bargaining, even though they won't be paying any of these dues. Now, you mentioned earlier that uh, that that doesn't mean necessarily that a non-member is not is in agreement rather with what's being bargained in the first place. But um, I'm just thinking, you know, from a, a teacher's perspective, you know, ultimately with teachers opting out, it's all about wanting to do what's best for the students, getting back to what maybe the union was designed for, as opposed to pushing a lot of this political persuasion. Is that kind of the same uh, avenue uh, with other government uh, sector type uh, opportunities, just getting back to what really should count? Yeah, I I think kind of what you're, I think the direction you're heading, if if I may be so bold to say, is I think you're looking at that free rider or freeloader comment. Um, And here's my response to that. Yes. How can you be a freeloader or a free rider when you don't have a choice? Mm -hmm. In other words, uh, give me the opportunity to negotiate a contract on my own, you know, with my employer. Yes. Um, don't force me to accept whatever you negotiate. Um, and the fact that you are negotiating are, and are the exclusive mandated representative, then what choice do I have? Mm-hmm. Don't mm-hmm. allow me by law in many states and, and entities across the country to go out and negotiate for myself. Now, in some cases that I've uh, talked to individuals that have become have opted out of the union, and they have gone to the individual school board or whatever entity it might be, they've actually been able to negotiate a better contract or a better better working conditions and and, and better salary, et cetera. Interesting. Do um, they do they tend to do it together with others that are also opting out, or is it on an individual basis, or how it, does that usually varies, work? It varies across the state. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it just, and I can't speak that it's a one-size-fits-all. Um, that that is not the case. But the the fact that the the unions are forcing you to accept that negotiation that they do, and you're they're forcing you to accept that collective bargaining, then doesn't give you the the ability to go out and do it on your own. So how can I be a free lighter? Free right. Lighter? Free loader, free rider. <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, you don't when you don't have an alternative. Right. And, that's and that's the bottom line. Right, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Well, Mark, we are so short on time. I think we're going to save our last question for our next show because we're very thankful that you get to come back and join us again next week um, when we're going to talk a little bit more about what the government reaction has been 
to this uh, Supreme Court response and uh, what also the other unions' responses have been as well. And so we're going to enjoy having you back with us again next Saturday, Mark. And I want to thank you again, Mark Durkin. It's a little confusing here. Mark Janis and Mark Durkin. Uh, Thank you for putting together this show. And thank you for joining us tonight, Mark uh, Janis. And we look forward to having you with us again next week. Thank you. I appreciate it. Look forward to it. All right. Thank you. And thank you to our listeners as well. And if you want to listen to this podcast or any other podcast, you can go to ednationmn.org, ednationmn.org, or you can find us on Facebook at Education Nation Radio. And we hope you'll join us again next week when we have Mark Janice back again. Six o'clock. All right. 6 p.m. AM 1280, The Patriot, Education Nation.